by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Not the people that you could choose to be the first to see it. There's something about seeing the Lord for yourself, right? You know, when, when we come to church, when we open our Bibles, when we sing worship songs, <clears throat> the, the goal is to see Jesus. His desire is for us to see him. You know, the first time that the first time that you meet him, it's like that. You're just amazed. You can't believe that it's true. You can't believe that it's real. What I've found, though, is that every time that I get a really good look at him, it's like the beginning all over again. Amen. You know, it could be, it could be in a, a worship service. It can be on an outreach. It could be just in your car, in your room. If you get a good look at him, it's like, man, how can this be? I'm sure that a lot of churches and businesses are going to use 2020 and clear vision as themes uh, as we come into this new year. But I don't think that's something for us to shy away from. I think that's something for us to embrace. I think God's up to something. You know, I hadn't even thought about it until Mary said it as we were, we were praying at the end of worship. She said, a new decade, like we're going into the 20s, you know. I just feel like the 20s are going to belong to Jesus. You know, I, I looked back through, through the archives because I didn't just want to be a 2020 vision guy like everybody else. And in 2017, we did a, a series on vision. And one of the messages was, was uh, entitled 2020 Clear Vision. So we're going to get it up on the app and we're get it back into people's hands. But I read through some of the notes. And man, I think God, uh, God was trying to give us a little bit of advance notice on some things that he wants to do this year. John chapter 2020 Chapter 20, verse 20 says, after this, Jesus, after Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side and disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I want to see the Lord in 2020. 
I want you to see the Lord in 2020. I want people that we don't know in 2019 to come in here and see the Lord for the first time in 2020. I want us to have our eyes open because when somebody gives their life to the Lord, what we need to be thinking and experiencing is like that, that man, that shepherd that came and saw Jesus and held him for the first time. When somebody raises their hand and say, I want to give my life to the Lord, that's the moment they're having that we get to be a part of. There's people we don't know right now in 2019 who are going to do that in this building in 2020. What do you want to see in 2020? I want us to see him in the manger. I want us to see him on the cross. I want him to see I want to see him in the lives of others. I want to see him in my own life. I just want to see Jesus in 2020. Here's the question. As you go into another year, is there anything that you want more than seeing Jesus in 2020? Think about that for a second. We're all making plans. We're getting our resolutions ready. What do you want most in 2020? If it's not to see Jesus, I'll tell you this about our God. He says, I am a jealous God. I will not settle for second place in your life. He says, I have to be first. And then he says, not just first in order, like I'm going to prioritize church, I'm going to prioritize reading. He says, I want to be your first love. He told the church that later. He said, the problem with you is that you've lost your first love. He knows that we're human. He was human. He understands us. But he wants us to have that kind of experience more often than not, where we're just in love with him and we can't wait to get to him and we want to hold him and we want to drop everything, our burdens and our blessings to get to him. Acts chapter 20, verse 20, Paul says, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and I taught you publicly from house to house. Acts 2020 is our commitment here at The Way to you in 2020. We'll give you all that we have. We won't hold anything back. We will proclaim the word every single week from this pulpit. And we'll teach in the church and we'll teach from house to house, week after week, life group after life group. And I believe that we'll see Jesus. The title of the message this morning is a question. It's what do you want to see in 2020? Luke chapter 4, verse 14 says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him, and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. 
Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But no one, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They rose up and they thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill which was in their city, and they, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his, words, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke amongst themselves saying, What a word this is. For the authority, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever and they made a request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him. And they tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. You're going to get some scripture this morning. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> what a story. What a story full of other stories. What we're going to do this morning is just look at uh, briefly each of the four kind of chunks or four stories within the scripture that I just shared with you. The four areas, number one, the synagogue in Nazareth. Number two, Elijah and Zarephath. Number three, Elisha and Naaman. And finally, number four, the synagogue in Capernaum. Those four areas. So number one, the synagogue in Nazareth. This seems to be Jesus' first time preaching and teaching in his three years of ministry, right? It says that even when he was young, he'd be in the temple, he'd be asking questions, he'd be talking, but he just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He goes off on his own, and when he comes back, this is where the scriptures pick up here in Luke chapter 4. It's his, literally his first time with the Holy Spirit in this special way, beginning to preach this sermon. And what does he do? He turns to a prophecy in Isaiah to let those who have ears to hear know exactly who he is, right? We talked about this last week, this idea of prophecy, promise, pursuit, right? And that's what Jesus does. His first time preaching, 
he goes to a prophecy in the same book of Isaiah. We spent the whole month of December looking at that prophecy, right? This is Acts chapter 8, verse 27. It says, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. She had come, he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, Philip, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. On Christmas, we heard a prophecy from Isaiah, and we talked about how prophecy will lead to a promise that is made to each and every individual, which will lead to a pursuit of this Jesus, which will lead to salvation and all these blessings that God has for us. This story with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is the same thing. He's reading the prophecies like, who is this about? He said it's about Jesus. He starts preaching to him. And literally in one uh, meeting, you see the whole thing. You see prophecy. Then Philip tells him about the promise. He receives the promise and receives salvation, jumps out and gets baptized. Let me add that to the announcements for 2020. Some people need to get baptized. Some people need to just go all in and say, look, either you believe or you don't. This person is not saying, uh, Philip's not, hey, do you want to get baptized? Do you, do you want to believe in Jesus? Do you, do you want to get saved? He's like, listen, I'm looking, I'm seeking, I see the prophecy, I hear the promise. I want to get saved. What stops me right now from giving my whole life to Jesus? I don't need a special service. I see water right here. Let me get baptized. Amen. That's the DNA of the church. When we're seeking after the Son and the Savior with these kind of prophecies and these kind of promises. Jesus starts his ministry by showing that whole process, right? With these words that I think are some of the most amazing. He gets handed the book of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the acceptable of the year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to them. They all stared at him. And it says, he said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I love when Jesus says that kind of stuff. When he reads this amazing scripture about these things that are going to happen, he says, today it's fulfilled in your presence. We talked last week about the woman at the well, and she says, we know the Messiah is coming. And when he does, he's going to tell us everything. He says, he's here. I'm him. I'm here. The moment is now. Man, I hope in 2020 we see him, we hear him. And many of us have this opportunity to hear him say, like, uh, the moment's now. I'm here. It's fulfilled in your presence, in your hearing. What do you want to see in 2020? He says that... Uh, He's been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus has a heart for the poor. He has a heart for those who lack. He has a heart for those who are forgotten by society. That's right. And he has a heart for those who have no hope. Amen. Poor financially and poor spiritually. In the Beatitudes, doesn't he say that? Yes. That the poor, the meek, those are going to inherit the earth. Mm -hmm. Our God has a heart for them. How many of us are talking to them? 
reaching the poor, reaching the broken. Man, I want to see that in 2020. He says, heal the brokenhearted. A broken heart is deeply personal, deeply lonely, and consuming thing to deal with. If anybody's ever had a broken heart for any reason, you know what I'm talking about. It's so personal. It's so deep. It's so lonely because nobody can really understand. It's consuming. You'll be hanging out, having a good time, being with friends, enjoying everything, enjoying the Christmas party, and then you go home, and you're so consumed by your brokenness. And what did Jesus say? I'm anointed to go and heal the brokenhearted. What do you want to see in 2020? He says, I've been anointed to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. What does it mean to be a captive? It means that you've been taken from where you actually belong. What does it mean to recover sight? It means that you had to have sight to begin with. What is Jesus saying when he says, I'm going to bring the captives back? He's saying those that used to know me, used to serve me, used to be committed to me and have been taken to some other land or to some other lifestyle. He says, I'm going to bring them back. And he says, those that used to be able to see me clearly, used to be able to come and receive the word, every message, used to be able to come and lift their arms and worships, used to be able to have sight for the things of God. He says, I'm going to restore their sight to them. Uh, What do you want to see in 2020? He says, I'm anointed to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If you have an overbearing spouse, if you have an oppressing boss, If you have an oppressing parent, if you have an oppressing pastor, (laughs) Jesus is anointed to give you liberty. These are his words, they're not mine. There's also people who live in nations right now, we're free to do whatever we want, there's people who live in nations where they are oppressed 24-7. But Jesus says, "I'm, I'm anointed to give them liberty. Man, I want to see that in 2020. We may be able to hear these prophecies of God in the church next year. And sometimes it might be the same day like Philip and the eunuch, right? Here's the prophecy, here's the promise, and then he experiences it the same day. Other times for us in 2020, it may take the course of weeks or months or the whole year. But I'm excited and hopeful that many of us will be able to see Jesus and then hear him say those words, this is fulfilled today in your presence. Amen. Think about the prophecies and promises that he's made to you, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, friends, family. And imagine being in the place you're supposed to be at the time you're supposed to be there. And Jesus looks you in the eye and says, today is the day it's fulfilled in your life. So good. So that's what happened at Nazareth. In the synagogue. The second one is Elijah and Zarephath. And our scripture, verse 24 of Luke 4 says, He said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophets accepted in his own country. I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So where is that story, story reference from, this woman that, that Elijah go to, goes to? I'm going to read it to you in 1 Kings chapter 17. I told you you're going to hear some scripture. I won't break it all down, but just listen to this story and, and see if you can follow what Jesus is talking about. <clears throat> 1 Kings 17, Elijah the Tispite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain three years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, 
and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. It will be to you, it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him again, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elisha. And she and her, excuse me, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of, the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? He said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms, carried him into the upper room where he was staying. He laid on him. He laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? He stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper room into the house, gave him to his mother. And Elisha said, see, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. I just want to stop there and pause for one second. I'm going to keep reading some of this story to you. But it's just the Spirit is calling it to my remembrance. Um, uh, one of the leaders in the, the church called Bethel in Northern California, one of their worship leaders, their two-year-old daughter uh, died. Um, uh, just sudden infant death, stopped breathing and died. I think it's been a week or, or two now. And they were praying for the child to be resurrected, like didn't want to bury her. They were going through, the church was praying. And then all over the world, there started to be all this flack, people saying all kinds of stuff. And these Christians are crazy. These Christians are, I look, I opened Google one day and it said church in Northern California tries to raise dead child. Like just really, really negative. And it's so easy for you and I as Christians to be like, hey, that is kind of crazy. But then when you read the scriptures, it's like, that's how we're supposed to live. That's what we're supposed to think. That's what we're supposed to hope for. But even the church is like embarrassed to trust God or to believe God or to ask him to do miracles. Let's read the story a little more. 1 Kings 18, the, the, the chapter goes on, the next chapter. 
It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present, your, present yourself to Ahab. I'll send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria, and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house, and Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and he had fed them with bread and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks, perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock." They divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and he fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he's not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he's going to kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and I fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here. He's ki he'll kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Side note, Lord of hosts, the stars, the wonders, the same star that they saw and they went to the Lord, right? They went to find the child. He says, as the Lord of hosts lives, I will present myself to him. <clears throat> so Obadiah went to meet Ahab. He told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. In that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. We got to read this book. <laughs> got to read this thing. So why is all this stuff important? This poor widow did some things from faith and obedience in the most difficult time of her life, right? There's a famine all over this, this region. No rain, which means no crops, which means no food. Everybody's about to die. She's in the, the, the most dire place she's ever been in. She's about to cook her last meal to feed herself and her son, and then she's going to watch him die, or he's going to watch her die. And what does she do? She responds in obedience to the word and the will of God. And what does God do? He responds with blessings and provisions for her. Yes, amen. But then what about this whole my son dies thing? The whole point, right? Wouldn't you think like he rewarded her because she was faithful and the son's going to live? After she's been faithful, after the prophet has eaten and the prophet has uh, water now, her son dies. Why would Jesus reference this story in his first sermon that he's preaching? I think it's because he wants us to know it's okay to have moments of doubt, 
and seasons of difficulty in our faith. We shouldn't be surprised if we have to sometimes say, God, are you real? Did, did, did I read it right when this whole, the oil kept coming and I thought we weren't going to make it and we made it? Something has to be wrong because now my son is dying. Now my son is addicted. Now my marriage is broken. It's okay to have doubt. It's okay to have seasons of difficulty. It doesn't make you not a Christian because you suffer. Suffering is part of Christianity. John the Baptist had the same experience. We just talked about him at Christmas. He's born before. He's jumping in the womb. He sets everybody straight. He baptizes Jesus. And then what? He's in prison. And then he gets his head cut off. And what does he do? He doubts for a minute. He says, listen, I got to send some friends. Go ask him, are you the guy? I thought you were the guy. (laughs) But I'm in prison, which means you might not be the guy. And then what does Jesus respond? He says, go tell John that I'm going to come and save him. Nope. Go tell John that I'm going to fix his tough and rough situation. Nope. He says, go tell John that the dead are raised, the blind see, and the deaf hear. Why? Because I have been anointed to do those things. Your suffering is just part of the greater story. Don't turn on God when you suffer in 2020. Read the scriptures and understand what his plans are. God decides to raise this woman's son and restore him back to, to life and restore him back to her. But what did Jesus say? He said, in his preaching in Luke, he says, Elijah only went to this one woman. What's the point? How many other women lost their children? They suffered and died. How many other families didn't make it out of the famine? Jesus is making this crazy point right here. He's like, look, only one woman was, was, was saved when Elijah went. That shouldn't make people doubt me. I have this greater plan. What he's saying is our faith needs to be beyond our suffering because Jesus' love went through and beyond his suffering. Ultimately, God used this woman, right, in her lack to provide for the prophet Elijah and to sustain him so that the word of the Lord could go forward. Think about that for a second. She's poor. She ain't rich. She's a widow. She don't have a husband. She's a single mother. And she's down to scraps. And God says, that's the one that I want to support my minister so that my word can go forward. What reality are we living in when we say it's somebody else's job to do that? What scriptures are we reading? And then what happens after this? The reason I read chapter 18 is because after this, Uh, Elijah is strengthened, Elijah is prepared, and he goes up by himself against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asheroth and calls down fire from God and destroys all of them, all because this one widow was obedient. The things that God does on the big scale, he starts on the small scale with individual men and women who are faithful. I think God is looking for individuals like that, men and women of faith in 2020. I think God is looking for men and women who will put the word of God first and the servants of God before themselves. I think God is looking for men and women who will not let poverty stop them 
and who will not let suffering, significant losses, cause their faith to waver. I think God's looking for men and women who know Jesus is constantly moving forward. The same way Elijah went to destroy these false gods, that's what God wants to do in 2020. If he also blesses us, praise the Lord. But if he doesn't, as long as he is destroying the enemy and taking ground for the kingdom, we should rejoice. What do you want to see in 2020? I'm praying for a few wealthy believers to say, I want to be at the way. (laughs) Ain't nothing wrong with praying for that. Look, when when Jesus died on the cross, you know who came and got him? A wealthy believer. Joseph of Arimathea, uh, he went to Pilate, which means you got to have some pool to be able to go to the governor. And he says, hey, I want his body. And Pilate gave him the body. And then it says that he wasn't buried with the poor. He was buried with the rich because this rich man had a gravesite on the rich plot and he gave it to Jesus and had him buried there. The church needs some Joseph of Arimathea's. <laughs> but you know what else the church needs? He needs a couple of people who say, I'm a widow with my last two mites, but I'll give it. I'm a woman with my, these sticks and this little bit of flour, but I'll give it. It doesn't matter, Lord. Whatever you ask of me, I will be obedient and I will be faithful because I believe in you. Amen. I think the church needs leaders that can model that and teach it. Not just say it's in there, but say it's in there and it's in here. Amen. I'll show you how to do it. Yes. And then the church will grow. God will send people to churches where his word is being believed and practiced so that the people, when they come in, they can see it modeled and they can have it taught to them. God won't send people where they can't be taught the right things and God won't send people where it's not going to be modeled for them because it's fake. That's why Jesus went into the synagogue and he said, you guys are fake and you're fronting. It's a den of thieves. It's not a house of prayer. What do you want to see in 2020? Number three, we're almost there. Number one, the synagogue in Nazareth. Number two, Elijah and this woman at Zarephath, this widow. Number three, Elisha and Naaman. Elisha is Elijah's uh, disciple. Luke chapter four, our, our main scripture, verse 27 says, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Right? With the widow and with Naaman, they're outsiders and they're not the religious elite. That's the reason why Jesus, when he's telling these stories in his first sermon, he ain't talking about religious elite. He ain't talking about Jews. He ain't talking about the church. He's talking about these outsiders, this poor widow out in the middle of nowhere. He's talking about Naaman who belongs to another nation. And the people, the church that he's preaching in, they try to throw him off a cliff. When the truth is is preached and taught, sometimes you want to throw the preacher off the cliff. But here's the truth. Jesus is coming for the sick. Jesus is coming for the marginalized. Amen. Jesus is coming for the dirty shepherd with a broken foot bleeding off of his arm. And he's like, that's the one. Come hold me. Amen. <laughs> and this is what he says to the church. If you won't seek me and you won't serve me, you are going to be jealous because I'm going to go get Gentiles and watch what I do in their life. Yes. That's the story. That's the gospel story when you read the whole thing. Let's see what happened with Naaman for part three here. Second Kings chapter five. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, he's an enemy, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. 
And the Syrians had gone out in, on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Think about that for a second. God gives victory to some other nation as part of his plan for his own nation. A woman gets uh, taken into slavery, and instead of, instead of like losing her mind because she's a slave, she serves this, this master with leprosy, and then she starts praying for him. What Bible are we reading? How do we live? <laughs> These are our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers. It's women like this. She's praying for him. Man, if he could just be healed. She's a slave. The Bible says in, in the New Testament, it says, if you were saved as a slave, don't worry about your freedom. If you're saved as a free man, use your freedom. He says, because the, the, the slave is the Lord's freed man. And then you see it lived out in people's life like this. Sorry, I can't help myself this morning. If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel, the king of Syria, said, Go, go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends me to, or sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he'll surely come out to me. Stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hands over the place and heal my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides. And he came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. <clears throat> man, we got to read this book. Why did Jesus choose to reference this story in his first sermon? The things that you might be asked to do in the church might sound foolish to you. They might not make a whole lot of sense in the natural, but the church is supernatural. The men and women that God has called are servants of the Most High God. When God tells them to tell you something, listen. When God gives you a commandment, it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not, do it. 
It didn't make sense to Naaman to go over here and to have, not only did the man not come out, he sent his servant, Elisha sent a servant and said, go tell him what to do. If you're too prideful for that, the kingdom might not be for you. Your healing might not come. If you can't take direction from men and women of God, then you have to build your own kingdom and do things your way. This is God's way. And this is what Jesus in the New Testament is preaching and teaching in his first sermon. They might say, show up to every event in January. Who are you to tell me what to do? They might say, let somebody get all the way involved in your finances. Who are you to tell me what to do with my money? They might say, get out of that relationship. Who are you to tell me what I need to do and who I should and shouldn't be with? They might say, show up to the praying and the spirit services. And we wonder why we walk around with leprosy still. We don't need that anymore. That's Old Testament. I got Jesus now. I'll go directly to the source. He has disciples. He made them apostles. He sent them to change the world. He says, you have my power and my authority. Speak, heal, teach, baptize. First sermon, this is what he's talking about. You don't want it God's way. Make your own little mini kingdom, but it will have no power. It will have no authority. It will have no transformation, and it will have no healing. But you get to do it your way. Dipped himself seven times. And then what does he do? He's He's a foreigner with leprosy. He's touched by God, acknowledges the authority of God. And the very first thing he does is he tries to give an offering. Like he can't be stopped. I have gifts for you. I want to worship your God. I want to bless you for what you've done in my life. He's not being compelled to do that. It's called being touched by God, having the spirit of God do something in your life. And the fruit of the spirit is liberality and giving. It's a spirit of gratefulness. It's a spirit of thankfulness. That, that um, shepherd, when he, when he sees the child and he grabs a hold of the child, he says, people have to know about it. He says, we've waited so long for this. That's, that's what happens when you see Jesus, when you meet Jesus, there's a gratefulness and a thankfulness that just wells up inside of you. But here's the reality. Over time, this world chokes that out. On day one, you're so thankful. On day like four, you're like, screw this. (laughs) Why? Because we live in this world and it's hard and it's rough and we have needs and we have desires. What does the Bible tell us about that? You have to choose which one you're going to feed. Are you going to feed the new spirit of life and newness and forgiveness and salvation and you come out of the water and you're healed and you can't wait to serve Jesus and love Jesus and give unto Jesus? And be obedient unto Jesus? Or are you going to say, uh, begin to serve that flesh, that old spirit that says, nah, 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 I'm going to kind of do my own thing. That's how the world works. You get to choose which one you're going to go, which path you're going to go down. And I'm going to tell you after being saved for whatever it is now, October of 2004, you do the math, that it's still a weekly decision to say, I'm going to feed the spirit of God and try to live in the spirit. It doesn't just like stay. <laughs> 
you have to get it every morning. You have to get it every week. You have to keep going back and say, no, I'm going to actually live in the spirit. I'm going to actually do what he told me to do. I'm actually going to, I'm going to love when I don't want to love. I'm going to help when I don't want to help. I'm going to go when I don't want to go. I'm going to give when I don't want to give. Like you have to tell yourself that all the time. Yesterday, we, we had a meeting and we had breakfast. And then I asked one of the people that we met with to, to go shopping with me. I took their whole day. They didn't get home till 10 o'clock at night from a 9.30 breakfast meeting. And on my way as I was driving home, I was thinking about my brother. I was thinking about my brother and I said, he was so willing to just go and go and go and give and give. I'd have been losing my mind. <laughs> I'd have been like, I didn't sign up for this. I had other things to do. Don't you know I got to preach tomorrow? I'd have been losing my mind. And I was thinking, how did he get like that? Like, how does he just give? How does he just love? And it's like, you know what, God? It's not just going to happen to me. I got to wake up tomorrow and say, I want to be like him. Yeah, I got to wake up tomorrow and say, when somebody asks me, I'm going to do it. It's not just going to happen to any of us. You have to choose. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't choose the spirit, it's going to get choked out in your life and it will not exist. Yeah. Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. That's why the scriptures tell us that. It's saying, look, you, there's the spirit, there's the flesh, right? If you don't feed the spirit, you're going to do the fleshly things. And even though you don't want to do it, you're not going to be able to stop yourself. So walk in the spirit. Man, let's feed the spirit. Let's live our best life. Somebody say amen. amen. Our best life is the born again, spirit filled, surrendered to the word of God and compelled to give and serve life. That's the best life. That's the spirit filled life. Let's finish up. You get your last long message in 2019. <laughs> Number one, the synagogue in Nazareth. Number two, Elijah and Zarephath. Number three, Elisha and Naaman. And finally, number four, the synagogue at Capernaum. Jesus started his ministry with this prophecy, with a suffering widow, and then with a cleansed leper. And finally, he does these amazing things in what is my favorite physical location on the planet, the synagogue at Capernaum. It's my favorite place because I had an opportunity to go there. Um, and I had one of the craziest experiences that I've had with Jesus in my life. We were, uh, we were there doing a Holy Land trip, and the enemy is so good at lying. We were like a weekend. We only had like three or four days left. And our, our tour guide was not a spirit-filled believer. He was a Jew that was still waiting for the Messiah, so he didn't have the Holy Spirit. And the whole time, they were just teaching us all these things, but teaching us with no love, no spirit, no truth behind the things that they were sharing about these sites. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I was sitting there, and it was a moment of anxiety and a moment of anger. I got really angry. And then I got this boldness, and I stood up, and he had us all circled up, and he was teaching us. And I said, hold on, stop. And I started preaching about who God is and why we were here and what our expectations are. And the enemy was trying to say, you're going to come all the way out here, and you're not going to meet the one that you expected to commune with out here. I said, nope, can't take it, can't take it anymore. I was really angry, and I, it was like a mad preach. <laughs> 
And then when I was done, God took all the anger away and he, he just broke my heart. And I, I, we're talking about seeing clearly. It was just like the first time I met Jesus in, uh, at salvation. It was just like that. I saw him and I heard him clearly. He said, here I am, my son. He's everywhere. I, I met him here. Right. But he's just like it's just like going on a date with your wife. Like we could be at home, but it's nice to go out every now and then. I went to Israel to to be somewhere else with my savior. And in that moment, he said, here I am. And I just started weeping, started crying, couldn't stop. That's why it's my favorite physical place on the planet. And then when I read the scriptures and I see what he did there, it's like, now wonder now, I wonder you met me there. When you read the scriptures and he says, put memorial stones and build altars and go back to those places, it's because it's not that he has to do it that way, but he says, if I've done something there before, I'll do it again. If I meet you upstairs in your office, you might want to go there more often. If I meet you in your car, go jump in that thing. <laughs> if I meet you at Friday night prayer services, go to those Friday night prayer services. If I meet you when you're reading your scriptures, go to those places. Yes. So when I read about Capernaum, I'm like, man, he was still there. <laughs> When I got there, he was still there. Say, finish up. Finish up. <laughs> so in that very same place <clears throat> that happened to me, this is what happened. Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. For his word was with authority now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. They were all amazed and spoke amongst themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about Jesus went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now Jesus arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made requests of him concerning her. So he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. What a story. When you go to Capernaum, there's the ruins of the temple, right? So we were there. And then you turn and look, and it's maybe 20 yards is Simon's house. Isn't it interesting that, that Peter, the father of the Catholic faith, has priests that can't be married, but Peter was married and had a mother-in-law. And we wonder why there's so much controversy with the priest in the Catholic church. Because when you don't do things according to the word of God, you get what the enemy has planned. So what is Jesus, Jesus teaching us here about the demon-possessed and the sick? Right here from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is telling us that he's going to deal with the spiritual and the physical. He's going to deal with the mental and emotional attacks and the bodily attacks, even at the cellular level. Yes. Right? He cast out a demon... And I think most of us are usually more shocked by that than what he did for Peter's mother-in-law. But I hope in 2020, we see more clearly who Jesus is and what he's doing. 
it's great to see a demon come out. This man is possessed and God speaks to the demon, right? And, and the, the spirit comes out of him. But why is it not just as great that he walks into the house and he sees a woman suffering with a fever and he speaks to the fever and it leaves the woman? I think it's miraculous and I think he wants us to see it as miraculous and that's why he gives us this story in his early sermon and he tells us about both of them when he's here in Capernaum. On Friday night here in our, our praying in the spirit, I told you a lot of stuff happened, but as I was preparing and, and going over the message, I thought about two of the things that we prayed for. We prayed for, for uh, somebody to be delivered from um, addiction, right? This spiritual demonic oppression that was upon their life. Um, and many of us know what that's like. I was addicted, I was oppressed, and I needed to be delivered, right? And uh, so we prayed for that over this, over this individual. And then we also prayed for a woman that her sight would be restored, that physically the cellular level of what was going on in her eyes would be healed. And then I thought to myself, like, man, your word says to worship and pray in spirit and truth. What you preached in your first sermon, we were doing here in this place a day and a half ago. Saying, God, we want to see you do miraculous works and deliverance and the spiritual and the emotional bondage that the enemy tries to oppress us with. And we also want to see you heal our bodies. Yes, not just sight to the blind. I've had a cough for two months. Lord, heal me. Why not? Amen. We have people with diabetes. We have people who are sick. We have all kinds. Of, why are we not praying? Why are we not believing? What do you want to see in 2020? You want a few more dollars in your bank account? You want to be just a little bit happier in your relationship? You want your kid to get a little bit more PT? What are we living for? What is our heart's desire? What is it that Jesus wants? In 2020, I want to see Jesus command demons to depart. I want to see Jesus heal diseases and bring our bodies into full health. And I want to see Jesus command the wind and the waves. We sang a song called Oceans, Keep My Eyes Above the Waves. And I thought about Jesus with his disciples, and they're going crazy, and he just calms the storm. I don't care what else happens in 2020. I just want to see Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus. Why don't we stand and just bow our heads and just spend a moment. Just spend a moment, if you would. Something that I think we need to start today, if you've not done this before, and carry it into 2020 with you. Close your eyes right where you are and just begin to lay your burdens down. Begin to clear your mind. Anything that's taking your attention, anything that's taking your focus, Anything that's burdening you, anything that's trying to cloud your vision, would you just begin to try to lay that down? Even speak to God about it. Say, Lord, help me to lay this down. There's people that came to Jesus and they said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Would you ask him right now, wherever you are, just for help to remove your burdens? Whatever's blocking, whatever's keeping you from being able to see him, that he would move that, remove it out of the way that you would be able to see him right now, right here in this place.
We just want to see you, Lord. We just want to be in your presence, God. These things don't matter. We know who you are. We know that you can deal with it. But we want you first. If the pain remains, if the suffering remains, if we still barely have enough, we just want to see you. Take us back to a place of awe. Take us back to a place where we're so in love with you. Scripture closes with when it was day, Jesus departed and went to a deserted place. The crowd sought him and came to him and he tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus has not stopped going to other cities ever since that day. He was there in Capernaum. And he went to the next city, and he went to the next city, and he went to the next city, and he just kept preaching the kingdom. And then he sent out servants to the next city, and the next city, and the next city, and they kept preaching the kingdom. And here, this morning, Jesus is preaching the kingdom to you. And he's compelling you to become a part of it. If you're not saved... If you're not fully surrendered to Jesus, if you haven't repented of your sins, if you haven't done what that Ethiopian eunuch did on the side of the road where he said, tell me clearly who he's talking about. If you haven't said, now that I see him for who he is, I believe that he's the son of God and I want to be saved. I want to be baptized. Jesus is here this morning. He's compelling you, come into my kingdom. Let me fill you with my spirit. I will change you and I will transform you. I will show myself to you in a way that you have never seen me before. And all you have to do is repent and ask for salvation. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. For what seems like it'll be the last time in the year of 2019, I make an invitation to anybody who's here that's not saved and wants to be. Would you just raise your hand so that I can see you? Hallelujah, Lord. I see your hand, sis. A miracle in our midst this morning. Anybody else this morning would say, me too. Me too. I see you, sis. Man, the women, you're so bold. You're so bold. Amen, amen. Let's stay in this place for just one more minute. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We have two women that have said, we want to be daughters of the king and come into the kingdom. Anybody else this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Be praying. If you're already saved, be praying for others right now. Anybody else want to give your life to Jesus? Hallelujah, Lord. So good. So, Lord, we thank you for 
just the time this morning that we've been able to set aside to seek you. We thank you that because we've sought you, you've revealed yourself to us. We thank you that we got to see you clearly, Lord, that we didn't have to wait for 2020, that here in this year, we got to see you clearly again this morning. And we thank you that more importantly than the sufferings we came in with, more importantly than the lack that we may be experiencing, Lord, physically, financially, relationally, Lord God, more important than the to-do list that we have to finish before the new year starts, Lord, more importantly than all the things that we've experienced this year in a negative way, your kingdom advanced this morning. There are two souls, Lord God, two souls, Lord, destined for hell, oppressed by the enemy, lied to by Satan, bound. And your promise holds true. You said you've been anointed to preach liberty to them, to open the eyes of the blind, to heal the brokenhearted, Lord, to preach the gospel to the poor. Your word says, let every man be a liar, but you and your word be true, Lord. We see you this morning. Your word is true. Lord, I pray for every man, woman, and child in this place, Lord, that they would just see you and that their lives would be changed and transformed. I pray that we would seek after your spirit and to walk in the spirit, that we wouldn't let the flesh choke out the spirit in our lives, Lord God. I pray that we would help one another in a way like never before in 2020, Lord God. I pray that the spirit that is upon my brother of sacrifice and willingness would be upon me and would be upon everybody here in this place, Lord God. I pray that you would maybe choose this place to be your Capernaum in 2020. We love you, Lord God. As we receive communion together as a family for the last time this year, I pray that you would just be with us, Lord. That you would be with us, that we would see you in this time. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before, amen, give the Lord a hand. So here's, I just feel compelled. I just feel compelled. We're going to worship. If you want individual prayer, there'll be time after communion. But what I'd like to do for communion is uh, get into groups of about four. Get your communion and don't take it until you're in a group of four. If you're with your spouse, separate. Get with some other people that you're not married to. Get away from your own kids. Let's take a minute right now. Everybody can go ahead and grab your communion. Get into a group of four. We're going to worship and just talk to each other for a minute, two minutes. Pray for each other. Somebody lead you in communion and, and thank God for his body and his blood and then take communion together. Then you'll be released. The altars will be open if you want prayer for the last time here in 2019. Thank you, Jesus. I was nowhere you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way For listening. 
The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.